Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. All right, so welcome to the Legacy Podcast. I'm here with Jay Carlson with Life Plan Legal Arizona. Just to tell you a little bit about Jake, uh, he is an estate planning attorney, recognized business leader, inspiring presenter, and popular podcast host. He is personable and connects immediately with others. A natural storyteller, he loves listening to your story and exploring what matters most to you. Jake earned his law degree from the California Western School of Law and concurrently with a business degree and MBA from San Diego State University. He attended law school and creative problem-solving scholarship and was awarded that in 2005 with the Outstanding Case Award for the Best MBA Consulting Project. He's a licensed member of the State Bar of Arizona. Jake has personally presented over 200 groups, so over 200 groups in 27 states on estate planning and protecting your legacy. He's the author of over 100 leadership articles on topics of influence and legacy, family vision, and the values-based estate planning process. He has had the privilege of interviewing hundreds of recognized executives and since 2014, hosted the Family Before Fortune and the Modern Leadership Podcast. Jake is a self-proclaimed adventure junkie and loves to try out new and exciting things. He has scaled volcanoes in the Philippines, backpacked through 11 national parks, rock climbed on two continents, and scuba dove with sharks. With his family, he spent time living in 12 countries from Begin, Myanmar to Paris, France and overcoming robbery, red-eye flights, and haggies while learning to love the rich culture of the world. Jake and his wife have three kids, two daughters and a son, and live in East Valley, Arizona. They all love travel and spending time creating family traditions. Jake, so glad to have you here today. You know, Eddie, it's great to be with you. I should have given you a lot shorter bio. I didn't know That's all right. That's all right. That's the right. I, I I can see now why uh, we've been so excited to go ahead and have you on. So so first off, to begin there, Jake, let's kind of go ahead and go back a little bit. Uh, why did you go to law school? Yeah, I mean, this is the perfect podcast for me because I'm a storyteller and you're asking stories. What's the story behind law school? Yeah. You know, when I graduated undergrad, I knew that I had more schooling ahead of me because I graduated with a drum roll philosophy degree. So I knew I had more school. I was working in business as a stockbroker and the guy I was working for got sued. And during that lawsuit, he would say things like, I wish I understand a little bit of the law. I wish I knew just a little bit about court procedure or securities regulation or constitutional law. And I said, oh, I'm going to get my MBA. I'll take a famous last words, couple law classes. And about three years later, you know, I'm sitting for the bar and I'm asking myself how I got on this path, but it's been such a great uh, path and journey. I guess I would say I'm a reluctant 
attorney. I didn't necessarily set out to come this direction, but I've loved it ever since. That's awesome. Great story. Great story. And so now we hear a little bit about the law degree and being an attorney. What was the path that led to a state plan? Yeah. So right out of law school. So I graduated law school in 2005. And if you remember that time period, you know, we were just inching our way towards the financial crisis. And being kind of a business guy, a business background guy, I thought I would go to New York. I'd work on, you know, Wall Street, something like that. But at the time that I graduated, there wasn't a lot of people hiring for business, but there were a lot of law firms hiring. And I happened to find a great position working with a nonprofit, a national nonprofit that needed a tax attorney that could travel all across the nation, you know, literally get on a flight every Monday morning, come home every Friday night, and during the week, sit down with individuals and talk them through estate planning with a charitable interest. So I now work with individuals with a lot of uh, philanthropic uh, passion. And so I spent six years, literally 10 hours a day, five days a week, flying all over the country, talking to people about how they set their plan up to make it so that their families were healthy, their kids had opportunities, they weren't destroyed. They could protect from some of these crazy things like of substance abuse or gambling addictions. And I really loved working with the generation of, of individuals that were, at the time, we called them the silent generation. This was before the baby boom. Uh, now we're starting to see a lot more baby boomers and even some Gen Xs come through the estate planning world. And of course, my goal is to get more Gen Z and millennials in. But at the time, I loved sitting with that silent generation and hearing their stories about you know, going to war and coming back and starting their families and putting down roots and creating, you know, work ethic and work culture. And so I just took that and parlayed it into now what I run my own business, Life Plan Legal Arizona, where, you know, we love to hear these stories and kind of use the stories to create an ongoing legacy for the family. That is great. I love hearing your passion as well in this. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Can you go a little bit more into what was that transition from the first firm you were with to life planning of Beagle, Arizona? Well, it didn't go a straight linear path, as I'm sure all of your listeners are thinking to themselves. Uh, my life has never gone a linear path. Why should his? Uh, after six years of kind of traveling around the, the United States a lot, I had two kids. My oldest was six. My youngest was three. And I remember coming home, my six-year-old was a kindergartner. I guess she was probably five. I came home and uh, I always tell the joke that she said, oh, here's my weekend daddy. And I thought to myself, oh no, this is the weekday daddy. I'm on the road too much. So I need to make a transition. So I took a transition for a, a role up in San Jose, California. And I did that for six years. I was the chief operating officer of a small company that we grew pretty large. And I found that even though I had taken a step away from uh, the legal world and, and kind of walking through, you know, estate planning and that type of thing, I was still gone a lot. I was still working, you know, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. And so we decided as a family to take a year and just spend that time as a family. And so what we did was we sold everything. You know, we're one of those crazy families that you saw on Instagram or whatever it was back then, Twitter. We sold all you know the beds and the couches and the refrigerator. We sold the car and jumped on the airplane. We took five carry-on suitcases because I have three kids now. At the time, when I took the new job, I had two kids, but then we had our third. 
And so we took our three kids, my wife and I, we each had a carry-off, we each had a backpack, and we decided to go explore the world. Spent six months in Asia, six months in Europe. And then at the end of that year, I said to my wife, look, we've now lived everywhere in the world. Where do you want to live? Where do you want to put down roots, have our kids go to high school, make friends, have community? And she said, Gilbert, Arizona. We moved to Gilbert, Arizona. Love it. We now live in Queen Creek. We just moved just a little bit ago. But um, during that process, I said, look, I need to work. There's stuff that needs to be done. Let's form Life Plan Legal Arizona. So I formed it. And you'll notice, Eddie, I know you talk to a lot of people out there. Um, what's different about me? How, do, how am I different from all the other estate planners? Two things. In my 18 years experience working for a lot of different people, one thing I hated was always looking at my watch. Hey, it's been 30 minutes. Your consult's over. We need to kind of move on. I didn't want to be a watch looker. So when I started my firm, I said, no watches. We're going to meet with people and talk about that, their story, what they need. And if it takes 35 minutes, if it takes 41 minutes, that's okay. We're here for you. The second thing is I didn't like, and no offense to all my great colleagues out there that are doing wonderful things, but for me personally, I did not like to be the lawyer that said, hey, look, I went to law school. I'm so smart. Just listen to me. Do what I say. Sign here. What I wanted to do with the heart of an educator is say, this is why we do this. I mean, our trusts are 40 to 50 pages long. Some of them can get as high as 90 pages. There's a lot going on in there. So we like to sit down and walk you through it. So that's kind of the transition. I hope I didn't go too deep for you, Eddie. No, excellent answer. Uh, thank you again. I love hearing, like you said, not just the, the, the what behind your answer, but the why. So thank you again for just sharing those passionate whys. And I know you kind of alluded to this already a little bit there, Jake, but could you go into a little bit more detail about um, who, what is the idea, who is the ideal client? You. Yeah. So, I mean, we really focus on the clients that have a net worth. Oh, I'm sorry about the fire truck going past. We really focus on clients with a net worth usually between about $500,000 and $2 million. Uh, the reason for that is because there's a lot of great attorneys out there working with these very high end, um, large estates, trying to avoid taxes. And I often say, you know, in the 90s when we would do estate planning, it was all tax focused. We were really worried about what would happen. Would our money be taken by the government? But nowadays, because the exemption has risen so high, 99.9% .9 of us don't have to worry about this. So estate planning has shifted from tax avoidance or tax preparation to something else. And in my mind, what that shifted to is this idea of let's make this as smooth as possible for people who are obviously going to be dealing with some emotional loss when mom and dad pass away. Oftentimes, we're talking about families where the children need to step into the role of executor, what we call in Arizona personal representative or trustee or beneficiaries of some of these accounts, they need to step into this role right at the same time that they're dealing with the loss of a loved one, emotional loss. And so our primary goal is how do we make that transition simpler, smoother? How do we make it so that there's less stress going on? So that's been the primary goal. Uh, uh, you know, Obviously, we still want to avoid tax. But then the second thing is we want to stay out of the courts. And I hope that you don't have any judges listening to this podcast, but I often say to my clients, look, whenever you get the courts involved, you can guarantee three things, right? It's going to take time. It's going to cost money. And somebody's going away unhappy. Somebody's going to fight about something. 
How do we avoid that? We create a special plan that can operate outside of the court system so that you don't have to worry about the time and the money involved and, of course, the fighting that happens anytime you get the courts involved. And so that's kind of become our philosophy when it comes to approaching the estate plan. So your question, long answer to a short question, ideal client for us is anybody that wants to make it smooth for their loved ones. Oftentimes people think of estate planning as, hey, what happens to my stuff after I pass away? Well, I often joke, hey, when I pass away, I'm bouncing the last check I write anyway. I don't care what happens to my stuff. I am much more concerned about what happens to myself while I'm still alive, but can't make decisions. Statistically, that's 76% of us are going to experience a period of needing help making decisions. So who's going to make decisions? Well, if I can. And second of all, how do I make this smooth? How do I make this easy for those I'm going to leave behind? Because me, I'm going to peace out. I hope that the audiences will really marinate on the words that you said. You've brought up some very important points that is, this is more than just transactional. This is how do people find you? What's the best way for people to find you there, Jay? You know, it, we're everywhere. I mean, we're we're on all of the socials. We're on the web. We we have two offices. We have, you know, signs up. But, you know, the the best way that people have been finding us is just word of mouth. Just their friends are telling friends or telling friends, and it's just been great. I'll tell you, my favorite thing is Google reviews. I mean, people love to leave Google reviews and then other people see them. You know, lifeplanlegalaz.com, that's our website. You can go there and get all sorts of information. Any one thing that we do, we write a blog article every single day. We have for three years. There's over 700 articles all about estate planning guardianship, conservatorship, powers of attorney, wills, trusts, irrevocable trusts, conservatorship, you name it. When it comes to this area of law, we write about it on a daily basis because we want to be educators. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm an educator at heart. I want people to understand the why behind the what that we do. Excellent. Excellent. And I know there, Jake, that you touched upon this a little bit more but any other common misconceptions that you work with or that you feel that potential clients have when they're looking to work with you? Oh, yes. <laughs> we get all, all the misconceptions. So let me give you a couple of them that are very, very common. One is, oh, trusts, those are for rich people or trusts, those are for trust fund babies or people that you want to just support. I'm not in that area. No, actually, trusts are for everybody. Almost everybody can enjoy a trust or or benefit from having a trust. The people who don't necessarily need a trust is if you don't own a home or if you're single or if all of your children are children of the same two parents. Um, these are all things that are less common more and more as we move forward. We have all sorts of definitions of families and, and groups getting together trusts are not just for rich people. The second thing is that wills are a tax by the government or probate. I'm sorry, not wills. Wills go through probate. That's the third misconception, by the way. Maybe I'll start with that one. The third misconception is that wills avoid probate. No, 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 no. Wills equal probate. Wills equal probate. Wills equal probate. I say it so many times because people, for some reason, they have this thought, oh, I have a very simple estate. I have just my checking account 
and maybe I live in a mobile home. And when I pass away, I have a will. It's going to be super easy. Maybe. But wills equal probate. In order to use that will, we need to open probate. What's probate? Well, it's the court babysitting the transition of your assets. So that's a misconception. And then the third misconception is that trusts are so much more expensive or so much more complicated than wills. And one of the things, sometimes I, I put our trust in front of a client and they'll say to me, they go, oh, Jake, that's that's 50 pages. That's, that's complicated. And I say, it's reverse what you normally would think. The longer your trust is, oftentimes we can clarify the way that we want things to proceed. And so having a little bit longer actually makes it simpler because it leaves less for interpretation. It clarifies what you think. So Eddie, I, I know you you get me on talking. It's like an Energizer bunny. You know, you put a quarter in me and I just keep going. But no, uh, I love it. Misconceptions. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. As we know, sometimes with misconceptions, things can still go awry. Can you share a story of a time of it going wrong? Yeah. So one of the things, Eddie, that's really important about the way I run my law firm, I do not do conflict. I do not do litigation. There's a lot of great attorneys out there that will litigate a will or litigate an estate. That's not us. We're, in fact, our tagline is planning that prevents conflict. Our whole goal is to avoid any conflict, avoid any court. And so oftentimes people will come in and they'll say, Jake, we've got a great plan. We have nobody's fighting. Can you help us? We'll start helping. And five times in the last 12 months, we've had a estate plan that has gone conflict, has gone nuclear. Definitely, when we start looking at estate planning, when we start adding the emotion of an aging parent or an ill parent or financing or funding for long-term care of a parent, or we add you know dollars and cents in after a parent dies, you know what we call inheritance. Anytime you add emotion and money into the same pot, and shake it all up, you're going to get some spillover. And so, yes, we've seen a couple of times, like I said, five times in the last year where something has uh, gone a little bit awry. I'll give you just one quick story. We had a family, husband and wife, married for 39 years, second marriage. Each of them had children from previous relationships. Husband starts to have some diminished capacity. It starts to go pretty quickly. Uh, husband doesn't quite know what's going on. Mom is stepping in, or I, I say wife is stepping in, trying to care for a husband, put him into the proper facility. Uh-oh, guess who shows up? <laughs> Stepson, son of father. Dad doesn't need to be in a facility. Dad needs to be in my house. Dad needs to be paying me to take care of him. Dad needs me to control his assets. Uh-oh, now we have wife of 39 years in conflict with son of 50 years or something like that. And dad not in a capacity to say, I want A or I want B. When those types of things happen, it's really wonderful to start with a plan, with a solid foundation and not try to create a plan or create a foundation with all the turmoil and chaos that's happening. And we see this more and more when we start seeing uh, Eddie, if I can just go back in time a little bit and talk about these, the silent generation. 
when the silent generation came back from war, they often went to school in their hometown. They often bought a house in the same town that they grew up in. They put down their roots and raised their children. They often sat on, you know, city councils or boards or things within the community. They put their roots down very deeply and they didn't leave often. If they left, it was often for vacation and then come back. Fast forward to today. We are a very mobile society. I was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah. I went to college in California, in Southern California, which I consider a different state from Northern California where we lived as a family. We now live in Arizona. We've been in Arizona for 12 years. When you look at all of that movement that we have done, that is not atypical. A lot of families experience that. And because of the blending of families, the blending of cultures, the blending of experiences, and the mobility of our society, our roots in the community aren't as deep. What that means is there's more tension when it comes to where do we take care of mom? How do we take care of dad? What do we do with the family cabin that nobody can get to now because it's clear out in the middle of nowhere and we all live in different states? How do we deal with the things that have emotional ties to us, but practically we just can't keep them and hold on to them? That's where, Eddie, we run into the challenges when it comes to administering estates, planning for families. And if I can just add one of my favorite quotes to the very end of this, and then I'll shut up for a minute, let you say That is uh, a quote that was given to me 18 years ago when I very first started my career, and I've used it in almost every presentation since, and that is 90% of all problems with inheritance can be solved if the parents would just speak with their children before they pass away. Okay. That's good. That's good. What about, I know we're going a little bit over. I don't think that the audience or myself would mind if we asked maybe a couple more questions. What's an example of estate planning going right that you'd like to share? Well, estate planning going right, this is one of those things that when there's a problem, everybody sees it. Everybody notices it. We could point out this went wrong, this went wrong. When estate planning goes right, the great thing about it is nobody notices. Why? Because it's so smooth that we look back and we go, yeah, we were able to administer mom's estate, sell the house, transfer the assets to the kids. We were able to have a great celebration of life and nobody was at each other's throat. We were able to process this as uh, adults and, and, and as friends and as family. And therefore, there's, it's hard to point a finger and say, hey, this went right or this is what was right or this is what we did that was completely amazing. I will say that estate planning is not an event. It's a process. And the process should begin when you're young because that's how we name a guardian for our kids. But as we age, the things that we place importance on, the things, our goals, our objectives, our outcomes, the legacy that we want to leave, all of these shift a little bit. And because of that, our plan needs to shift as well. And so whenever you're talking with an estate planning attorney, you're going to want to ask that attorney, do you have an ongoing like estate maintenance plan or is there an annual review? You know, even if you have to pay for it, you know, buy it. It's worth sitting down with that attorney and doing it. Now, 
as a shameless plug for my business, we do it for free. We call it plan anniversary, the anniversary of signing your estate plan. Come in every year for the rest of your life for free. Sit down with us. And we're going to walk through three questions. Changes in your family. Somebody gets married. Somebody gets divorced. Somebody has a child. Changes in your finances. Buy a house, sell a house, win the lottery, whatever it may be. And thirdly, changes with those knuckleheads in Washington. Anything that they do that's get impact the plan that we already created, we want to stay on top of that. So definitely when you're looking for an estate planning attorney, and there's a lot of brilliant ones here in Arizona, look for someone who wants to create not just your documents, but a relationship that will touch base with you on an annual basis and make sure that your plan still meets the objectives you originally set. Jay, you're speaking truth. We're loving what we're here. Thank you. Biggest challenge. What would you say is the biggest challenge for you and your business? Uh, biggest challenge for the business. Wow. Every single day is a different new challenge. <laughs> you ask me today, we're sitting here, you know, in the middle of April. I don't know when this is, is live, but it, right now our biggest challenge is there's not enough hours in the day. I think a lot of attorneys, a lot of professionals, a lot of businesses are faced with this labor shortage. And one of the things that I've done is I've spent a lot of one-on-one time with my clients. I spend, I do the initial intake. I do the drafting. I do the siting appointments. How many hours in the day does Jay count? Well, the same as you, 24. And I like to sleep and sometimes see those kids. So right now, today, the biggest challenge is just finding the time. If you would have asked me, Eddie, Last year, I would have said marketing, you know, finding individuals and, 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 and filling up the calendar, but we've shifted, we've turned that corner and, and now we're, we just need more time in the day. If you can help us, Eddie, we'd be glad, you know, to take your advice. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. Any last words there, Jake, with our audience, uh, any remaining uh, thoughts that you would like to go ahead and leave us with before we depart? Yeah, let me leave you with this. And it goes back to that quote that I mentioned, 90% of all problems with inheritance can be solved if children would just speak with their parents and parents would just speak with their children. If the if the waves of communication are open, then we can solve a lot, a lot of problems. And I want you to know that uh, anytime we bump into a problem, we often can trace it back to a situation where uh, parents have spoken to one or two of multiple children and not to one or two of multiple children. I'm not immune from this. It happens in my own family as I look at the great generation that's ahead of me uh, in my family, and I see that there's this belief that we need to keep things close to the vest, and we don't want our kids to know how much we have in the bank or what our house is worth or what we're making on an annual basis. And I get it. I have kids. I don't want my kids to know that either. But I also know that if we talk to our kids, explain why we did something. Eddie, if I have time to just share one quick story, I see this a lot. Mom gets ill. Mom needs to be taken care of. Mom moves into house of daughter number one. Daughter number two is totally for that. Daughter number two is happy that daughter number one is taking care of mom. Mom lives with daughter number one for three years. During that time period, Mom says, look, daughter number one, you've taken such great care of me. You've paid for my food. You've cleaned the house. You've driven me to appointments. When I pass away, you just go ahead and keep the bank account. Okay, that makes that makes sense to me. I understand that. Mom now passes away. Guess what? Mom never told 
daughter number two. Daughter number two says, we are equal children. We both came from mom. Mom wanted us to have equal. Look at the trust. Look at the will. The will says equal. Why are you keeping the bank account? Well, it's because the conversation was never had. So if I can leave the audience with anything, please, please, please have the conversation. When you make decisions, they might be uncomfortable. Hey, honey, I'm going to leave a little bit more to daughter number one because she cared for me for three years. It might be uncomfortable, but it will save relationships in the future. And I'll just leave you with that. Thank you. Communicate, people. Communicate. Well, Legacy Podcast audience, again, this is Eddie James, and we have just uh, been blessed today just being able to sit at the feet of Jake Carlton. And uh, again, we look forward to our next uh, interviews as well. But again, this is Eddie James with Jake Carlton with LifePlanLegalAZ.com. So reach out to him, folks. You will be glad that you did. Thank you again. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.